Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here is your host, Zach Small, founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Small, and today I'm joined by Jared McLean. Jared is a man who has been inside the Fraternity of Excellence. He was a member of the 31 DTM Men of March uh, Patriarchs Edition, and he's a man through over the years I've had a lot of back and forth with. You know, we've been working together to improve ourselves, to raise our standard, and most notably, I think one of the best stories I have to give, and I'm going to share this before I kick it to Jared to, to catch on anything I missed, is that of making bread. You know, a while back, I shared some photos. I think on a few podcasts, I recently talked about the process of things. You know, I released a podcast yesterday where I talked about enjoying the process of life. And while you might not be satisfied, you know, with where you are because you're you're looking for more and you want to continue to push yourself, you also need to find contentment in the moment. And that's what drives me away from Keurig, you know, type of coffee. You throw the pot and you press the button, coffee shows up. It removes the process. And I was able to teach this lesson to my children via Jared. So I brought all the equipment I have here, my camera, my microphone, my laptop. I brought it into my kitchen. I brought my big old TV, slapped that on the kitchen table, and I pointed it at my my stove, the oven, and my two children. And they came out with their aprons on, and I clicked the button. Jared showed up, and he's inside my home. Now, he's from Arizona, and I'm in Rhode Island. And here this man is. He's ready. He's got all of his tools and materials. We'd coordinated prior, so I had everything I needed. And he taught my children the art of making bread. And I say the art because there is an art to it. And I'm still looking to improve that craft. I enjoy it. I'm going to be making some more today. You know, but this man entered my home, which shows the level of trust there is. And he taught my children how to make this, you know, this food. One of the most basic of foods, bread. But that process, that moment, that enjoyment It was incredible to step back and watch it all occur and how when you use social media as a tool, instead of being used by it for for anger and instill rage and, you know, your vitriol at at politics or whatever the hot topic of the day is, instead it was being used to educate, to connect, to bring families together. And while I've not met Jared yet, I'm looking forward to that day. He's already, you know, made an impact on my home and our life. And that's why I thought it was incredibly, you know, fitting to have him on this podcast to talk about in his life, how he's been able to maintain a a continuing development of enjoying the process of observing, you know, where the ebbs and flows of life, the highs and the lows and how you can find and maintain confidence, even when you're going to the low, you know, he's been through many, I'd say milestones of a man's life, be it the single man building strength, be it the family man, you know, you've got your wife to being the father, the patriarch, and leading your children to start their own families, which is something we'll get into. But without further ado, Jared, the red carpet is rolled out. Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast. Glad to be here. Fantastic. First of all, let me start off by saying that that also was one of the funnest things I've done on Zoom. Uh, To be able to go to another uh, family and teach a skill that I love and I enjoy uh, and have made a, a real study of for a number of years and to teach that to somebody who's willing to listen and your kids who were an absolute delight, very attentive, very willing to try things out 
and to see the interaction that you had with them while that was going on was really, really a delightful experience and one of one of the more memorable experiences from this whole COVID experience that we've been having. Uh, so that was that was tremendous. Uh, let me uh, start off a little bit by telling you how I got into making bread, which is kind of along the same lines. Um, years ago, my wife uh, used to make homemade bread. And it was her mom's recipe that they had had for forever. Whole wheat bread. It was really yummy. I would get up in the morning, slice a a piece off and toast it and have a great breakfast. And then she developed a late life allergy uh, against gluten. Uh, And so she was unable to make anymore. And her basic thought was, if I can't eat it, I don't want to make it. Can't really blame her for that. Uh, So it, it was a few years after that. And I was like, you know, I really like homemade bread. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. So I started watching a few YouTube videos and got a couple of books, uh, read through them. And I was like, let's give this a shot. And, uh, and I started, started making it and I found out, you know what, there's a real joy to the process of making bread. Yeah. You get the bread at the end and that's fantastic. And having good bread is super yummy and everybody loves it. But the process has these elements of precision and science behind it. And also there's a certain art to it as well. Like you were saying, like, like getting the shape of a loaf and and, and knowing what's going to taste good in it and, and how things work and all that fitting together. It just became this, this wonderful Zen kind of experience where I get me and these ingredients and I put them all together and I end up making something that not only do I get to enjoy, but I also love sharing it with other people. I, 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 I probably make somewhere between 12 and 20 loaves of bread every week. And I keep one in our house for the family. All the rest of it goes away. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because that's just, I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing that skill with somebody else. I enjoy showing uh, or I, I enjoy seeing the reaction on people's faces when they when they get these uh, these gifts and, and they get this new bread and they're like, wow, I, you know, I wish I, I could do this too. And it's like, well, you can. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a real it's a real interesting um, experience. To, to be able to to share that with people and to and to to see how people react to it. What's incredible about that is something we didn't even talk about, and that's the challenge you gave the kids, and it's the way you gave that gift. And this is this is going to go to the the theme of this entire message. You know, it's that in that process of doing the thing, of going out and just experiencing the moment. It's not about you know I have I've made this bread. You're able to do so much with that. That goal attainment of, of making the bread, now you're allowed to go further. Now you're allowed, like, what's the next process in this? Well, now that I've made this thing, I went through the process myself, which was enjoyable. You know, we kept a loaf, but the challenge, you had each of the kids make a loaf of bread and they did, they crushed it. They had a great time. But then you gave them the challenge. I want you to make another, I think it was two loaves of bread each. And they had to yeah. go out and they had to give two loaves to one person with the expressed point that that person was to give one of those loaves away. Yeah. So we gave it to, I'm trying to remember, I think it was my parents and my in-laws. So my, my son gave to one, my daughter gave to the other, and they were so happy because I didn't do any of this. They made the bread. All I did was make sure they didn't burn themselves in the oven. 
you know, they, they did everything. They made the bread. They, they put the ingredients in. They mixed it, watched it rise, did the timer. All these. And my, my children are 11 and 8 years old. This is not a, a very complex teenager, like, leveling up. They're 11 and 8. They, they made this. The bread came out. And then they, they chose. No, it was my neighbor. It was my in-laws, my neighbor. And they went over. And when they gave it to him, they explained it. So my eight-year-old daughter is explaining, hey, this is for you. And then that one you have to give to someone else who could use it. And they were so happy and so proud. And I think of like, what a moment that was that if you dialed all the way back is because you agreed. Yes, I would like to do this. And I agreed. I would like you. And we came together to make this moment happen. What, what drove you towards that mindset, though, of, of giving? of not just making and collecting your gold and sitting on it like smog and you know, your layer, but you're always giving. And I see it all the time in FOE and the public won't see that, you know, but I see it. And it's interesting to see men who are abundant always during, you mentioned Corona and COVID in times where people are, I'd say a little more scarce. They're afraid of what's going on, what's happening yet. Here you are still that beacon of light. How are you maintaining that? I I'm not quite sure how to answer that other than to say that for me, one of the things I've learned over the course of my life is that I am simply happier when I am serving other people. And when I say serving other people, it doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going to go and mow my neighbor's yard. Although that's an act of service. That's, that's nice. But there's so many different ways to serve other people that are less obvious. Uh, The bread, uh, the gift of giving bread so that somebody else can give it to someone else was honestly, I I stumbled across that one day because I I used to just deliver bread to people occasionally just because I felt like, hey, this is somebody I like and I'm going to deliver them some bread. And then one day I, I was at this lady's house and I had two loaves of bread in my car. And I was trying to think, who should I give this other? I know I'm giving one to her. Who should I give the other one to? And this idea popped into my head and it said, give her both. But one of them's not for her. So I was like, okay. You just pass the buck. She'll choose yeah. who it goes yeah. to. <laughs> and, but, but the way I presented it to her, it was, I mean, it was a real, it was, it seemed like a real interesting idea. So I presented it to her and, the, and my favorite phrase now that I do is I say, this loaf is for you. This loaf isn't. And I had them two loaves uh, and she was kind of confused. I'm like, and I, I will now hold you accountable too. I, I will ask you who you gave that to so that I know that you didn't just, you know, carve it up and give it more to your family. Um, and she came back and said, you know what? I had the best experience. I gave this to my, na- my neighbor behind us who we've had some problems with. They have a tree that goes over in our yard and blah, blah, blah. And I went over and presented the bread. And all of a sudden this person we've had this acrimonious relationship with, we're going to lunch tomorrow. We're, we're kind of friends now. Uh, and it was a real interesting thing to break that ice and to do something really beneficial, not just for me, but to see it go somewhere else. That was tremendous. And so now uh, that's like my kid's favorite thing to do. Whenever we make any kind of treat or whenever we make any bread and I say, hey, do you, who are we going to give this to? They, they're like, do, do we do a service loaf? Yeah, we call it a service loaf. And we give that one to somebody and then we give them another one and say, you need to find somebody to give this to. Um, and it, and I don't always double check on it. I don't always follow up on it, but I, I get to see the look in people's faces when they're like, wait a minute, you mean I get to do something nice for somebody else with this this really cool thing? Um and that, that feeling that I get from 
being generous to people, from helping people in ways they may not have expected, uh, or even ways that they do expect and they need. Uh, I like seeing that light go on in other people's face now as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's, like I said, it's hard to answer. It's kind of who I am. It's what I do. But there is a, a very almost selfish act in that, that I really like the feeling of that I get when I help other people. And, and I, I want that more. And so it, it, it's easy for me to do that in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm obviously not perfect and I, I shouldn't try to brag. And that I hope that doesn't sound like I'm bragging because there's other ways that I'm pretty terrible at serving other people. Like, uh, when it comes to doing something really emotionally, uh, tying, uh, emotionally loaded, uh, I tend to run from those kind of things, but physical acts of service and 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 giving to people in those ways is easy for me, and I enjoy it. But I still I still have lots of room to grow there. What's inc- what I really like about you, Jared, and what I like about men who are doing good in the world, if you will, is that once you start sharing something that you've done, you find it necessary to find the balance to that. All the all those great things you listed, and yet you're still like, well, I'm also working on this, this, and this. It's, it, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I do it too. So it's something in us where we're like, well, I'm not trying to say this. I'm still, dude, it is, it is not only great to hear, but it's so interesting to think of the way you go about building others up by forcing them into a position to do the right thing. You know, sometimes a great example of this is to say, I want you to deliver the good news to that person. That's a very simple way of what you're doing here. Here you're saying, I'm giving you this gift, but I want you to go out there and make that person's day. And you put them in a position, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but this, in my opinion, puts them down a path of, do you see how good you feel when you do a nice thing for someone else? Maybe you'll do another nice thing for someone else when you see the opportunity. Instead of just waiting for that loaf of bread to come in, maybe when you're you're outside the store and you see that woman carrying all those bags, you'll step up when your hands are free and help her out. Or maybe yeah. when you can you can step in, it's not just you know giving uh, something of monetary value or giving something uh, consumable like a food, but also a service of the in the literal sense. Let me help you carry that. Let me help you pick that up. Let me help you with what you're doing. It's it takes two minutes out of your day, but you might help that person save a lot of pain, frustration, time. And I think you're, you know, we say be the change you want to see in the world. I think that's what you're doing. You know, you're, you're helping them be, be in that position to do and live out that change. One of the things that we've tried to do really, uh, I mean, consciously try to do is to include our kids. Cause my wife is very much the same that I am. We both love serving people. She, she's an extremely giving person. She's actually better at the giving of the emotional support. And then I'm on the physical side. So we complement each other very well that she can spot when people are in need. Uh, and then, we kind of use my skills to do something that will help boost them momentarily. And then she goes in and talks to him and says, Hey, you know, let's talk about what's going on. Let's see if we can help you out in other ways. So it really works out well, but we've, we've consciously tried very deliberately to get our children involved in some of this thing. Hence the in, inviting my children. I've, I've also taught my kids how to make bread. I, my son, Gavin, now, whenever I need a particular type of bread, I'm like, Gavin, Hey, I need four loaves. And he just, goes and does it. It's not a big deal. They, they, they're good at it. Uh, Sabrina, my, my youngest daughter is a little less, uh, 
willing to do that, but she's capable of it and she'll do it. Uh, she's better at cookies. Uh, Brina, we need to give some cookies to so-and-so. Go make some cookies. Okay, so she goes makes cookies. Um, but but some of the other things that we've done, um, which I, one of them that was just very recent was kind of caught me off guard. My wife says, you know, we're going to do something on Thanksgiving. We're going to go around Thanksgiving morning. I've got some, some sidewalk chalk and we're going to drive up to some of our friends' houses and some other people and just write something random on their, on their driveway, something like happy Thanksgiving. We love you, you know, whatever. And, uh, and we, we picked up, we had our kids each had to select, uh, three families that they wanted to go and do this to. And each of us had to select three families. And then we got in the car Thanksgiving morning, about nine o'clock and just drove to a house. We would run out of the car, run up to their driveway, blah, 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 write all these messages. Uh, and each one of us picked like a, a, a message or two that we would just write really quick. And then we'd pile back in the car and run off again to the next one. And we had so much fun doing it that we ended up doing like an extra six or seven families that we hadn't planned to at all because we still had chalk, you know, we had to, we had to use the chalk. That is incredible. <laughs> it was, it was awesome because we did it. It was totally anonymous other than the fact that it was our handwriting. My wife's handwriting is very distinctive. And so anybody that knows it knows that it's her, but we, we later uh, had the, the real pleasure of seeing some of our friends po posting on Facebook, these pictures of these things we wrote on the driveway. They're like, we don't know who did this. But I cannot tell you how much this message was needed today, how much this meant to us. And and that was really, really cool. We shared that with our kids and they and, and then we did it again. They wanted to do it a second time. So we're planning now every every few months we're just gonna go do that just because it felt it felt so good to do something fun, random, uh, and it meant something to people and we wouldn't have even known about it thank goodness for social media some of these people would probably just walked out and be like oh somebody wrote on my driveway and, and and but but people were legitimately touched uh and and it improved their day and so that was that was really cool and the fact that our kids were able to get in on that and enjoy it and embrace it and want to do it again that was very rewarding that we were that our kids are seeing those opportunities feeling them and growing from them and then embracing them themselves. You know, we often say that our children will follow our example, not our advice. And I think your children seeing you do that, not, not saying we should be good or we should do good, but doing good. I think that's going to impact them for, for the rest of their lives. You know, it's, it's probably already happening and you can see it, you know, so especially when you can say, Hey, four lobes and pff, Gavin's on the way. <laughs> so they're, they're, they've got it. They're like, all right, yeah, I know what we're doing. But you said something there that, that caught my interest. And it was, you said that, you know, the person said, or they shared on their social media, uh, we needed that message today. And with everything going on, you know, in the past two years, you know, that continues to go on and for the foreseeable future with the, the turmoil and the, I want to say a lot of negativity, a lot of toxic stuff going on in the mainstream, maintaining, you know, peaceful roots, maintaining, you know, uh, peace and solidarity at the grassroots level in the local level. I think that's incredibly important, but we do have social media in our acts. I mean, you taught my kids from thousands of miles, would you say two, two time zones away and thousands of miles away, you taught my children. So this is here to stay. And this podcast right now is an opportunity to reach far greater than just our local level. There are a lot of people out there who are needing that message. There are a lot of people out there who are really struggling with their sense of hope and their sense of self-esteem. And recently, I recorded a podcast on how to improve your self-esteem. I talked a lot about actions and how you know, you're know you proud when you do things and you can reflect on them. Your angle on this, though, I thought was very unique. 
So would you like to share, you know, how you view self-esteem and how people who are struggling with that can start shifting their mindsets to go in the right direction? Right. This, uh, that's a really good question and a really interesting topic for me. Uh, motivation and self-esteem are sort of tied together. So when I, when I use the terms motivation uh, interchangeably with self-esteem, they're kind of uh, together. Uh, when you have, uh, as a society, we kind of look at self-esteem and we say, oh, you either have it or you don't. And you'll talk about, I want to raise my self-esteem or, I, or I, I, you know, I've got low self-esteem. Well, from a research perspective, uh, in psychological research, that's a really weak idea because when you think about it, it's not really a holistic thing. Uh, let's take me, for example. I am, I love going to the gym. I love working out. Uh, and I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it for 30 years and I feel like I've got a lot of skill there. So when you say, and, and I go every day, uh, and so if you say, well, what's your, you know, are you, are you good with lifting? Yes, I'm very good at that. I have high self-esteem in my ability to make sure that I stay fit and healthy. But uh, I'm not that way with every physical activity. I'm, I'm actually very unathletic. I'm about as athletic as a sofa. Uh, and so I've, I've gone golfing with friends before, and I stink. I mean, it's, 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 Kind of, I, I should probably have like MIT physicists follow me around and try to discover which direction the golf ball is going to go if I manage to make contact with it. I mean, I really, really stink at it. Uh, and so my self-esteem with that is very low. I don't want to do that because it's embarrassing to me and I hate it. So does that mean that I'm a terrible person or that I'm, I'm, I'm completely devoid of any physical talents? No, I'm devoid of physical talent with golf. I have a lot of physical talent with working out. Uh, I, there's other areas as well, like my ability to serve others. I feel quite good about that. You already heard me say, there's still other areas even within there where my self-esteem and my sense of value are lower because I'm not as good there. Uh, does that lower my overall self-esteem? It shouldn't. Uh, but unfortunately, as as because as a society we talk about self-esteem as this holistic monolithic construct, then we think, well, because I'm bad at one thing, we focus on that, and then it brings everything else down with it. So what you really ought to be doing is is divesting that idea of self-esteem as a as a you as a thing, and taking it and breaking it down into specific areas. What are the areas that you're good at that you have high self-esteem? And if you want to, you can also identify the areas that you have low self-esteem. But guess what? If you have low self-esteem in those areas, what an opportunity to improve. Then you can identify those and make progress to building your self-esteem. Now, granted, if you have a lot of areas that you that you look at all the time and say, I'm terrible at all these things. Yeah, your overall sense of self-esteem is going to be low. But in order to combat that, you have to identify some of those things that you are good at. And that can be really challenging. My wife, uh, in fact, made the challenge to our kids recently. Um, uh, I want you to list five things that you think are where you add value to the world. What are five things that you're really good at that that are, are really positive? And for my son, he, he was like, one, two, three, four, five. You know, he, he had five right away. He's like, I do this, I do this, not a problem. But then she asked my daughter and my daughter was like, I don't, I don't have any. 
Um, and then my wife and I were both like, I can list like 20 right now. And she kind of forced it out of her. And eventually she said a few of them. And, and it kind of was interesting because you could sort of see her mood improve a little bit uh, shortly after that. She was a little less grumpy that morning um, because she had tried to think of these things that made her positive. Uh, so so that, that idea of first primarily identifying, of separating separating yourself out from that I have self-esteem, I don't have self-esteem. And then looking at it in specific areas, that's a real key to, to helping to break free of that cycle of, oh, I'm a terrible person. It's in, I'm, man, I connected several dots during that. <laughs> so something that I talk about frequently is how masculinity, you know, in men, that fire inside that makes you a man, that's not something you do. That's a part of who you are. But I'd never thought about that in terms of your self-esteem. You know, you, you can go and I'm confident, I'm Jared, I'm walking in, you know, work out in shape, leading my family, squared away, go on the golf course, and you're like full on out there. Like you have no idea what's going on, you know, but because you know who you are, it's almost as though you've authorized yourself weaknesses. You've authorized, you know, there will be chinks in this armor. I will, you know, with golf, maybe not. I don't think that's, that's more of a, a pastime, a hobby, if you will. That's right. a thing to think. Maybe it's you're just not an gonna, example. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, for some people, it's not golf. It's social settings. Yeah. It's public speaking. It's all these other things that they do want to work on. And they get so hyper-focused on that, that negative. That's like, well, I'm bad. And now their sense of their self-perception is off because of a thing they can't do. Instead yeah. of saying, I'm good and I suck at speaking. You know, that's those are two different perspectives. You know, yeah. There's another another way of, of, of thinking about it. Well, to, to re really quick, a thought that I had about the golf thing. One of the things that's fun about that is I've embraced the fact that I suck. Uh, so <laughs> so if I go golfing, I'm like, y'all get ready. This is going to be a show, you know. They've <laughs> got their body armor on. I, just yeah, I, I just, I'm like, yeah. And I'd like do a war cry and then give a whack on the thing. And depending on where it goes, you know, we just all have a good laugh. And I, I, I've embraced the fact that I suck at it. By allowing myself to suck at it, I don't. I don't get frustrated that it's not doing what I want it to do, because I've I, a. I haven't spent the time to make that into a thing. I don't. I don't care enough about that. So the fact that I suck at it doesn't affect my self-esteem. And when I go and I do it, say Top Golf or something like that, it's like uh, whatever. Let's just let's see what happens. Uh, and yeah, it can be a little frustrating that I I would like it to be better. I would like to see that I have improvement. But the fact that I don't, you kind of enjoy it and have fun with it. But one of the things that you said there about, about the, the focus of where you're bad, uh, this, is a, this is a really important thing for people to remember. When you ha attach negative emotions to uh, experiences, uh, fear, sorrow, anger, uh, and they're not, emotions aren't positive or negative. Emotions are you experience them. You can't avoid them. They happen whether you like it or not. And it depends on how you identify those emotions. And it's really, I, I will admit, it's extremely difficult to get away from saying, oh, you know, my father died. I felt sorrow. That was a negative emotion. Well, it's not negative. You needed to go through that. Um, but we, we tend to attach these negative emotions. But also the bigger, bigger uh, point is that those emotions are powerful. They have an effect, and the effect is that those really strong emotions and fear, sorrow, anger, embarrassment, I mean, 
what was the most embarrassing thing you've ever done in your life? When were you most embarrassed? I can say that. And now everybody's mad at me because they're remembering their most embarrassing moment. It sticks with you. And it's easy to focus on that because those memories of those experiences are so strong. But the opposite end of the spectrum is also true. Those positive emotions of really wonderful experiences when you had your first kiss, when you identified your first love, when you had the birth of your first child, when you experienced your first major career success or school success or whatever, those moments also stick with you. And as soon as I mention them, everybody's now going, oh, yeah, oh, I told him that was great. And so it's, but because the negative emotions are easier, dark side of the forest, it's, it's quicker, it's easier. Uh, sorry, geeking out a little bit. Uh, but, but because those emotions are, are strong and they're easier to identify, we tend to focus on the negative because they're so powerful. And, and the trick is to be able to recognize that's what you're doing. And to turn that around and say, okay, yes, that was a bad experience, but how can I, how can I turn that into something that will help me to learn? How can I turn that into something where it's no longer a negative experience and I can start to turn it positive? That's where people mostly fall down. They focus on that negative feeling. They focus on that negative reaction. And again, it's just an emotion. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be negative. Mourning the loss of a, of a loved one, the sorrow, that's not negative. You feel their loss work through that. And, and guess what? Those memories of them will be strengthened because you spent the time to mourn them and you spent time to remember the good things. So everything can be turned into a positive golf. I suck at it. It's embarrassing. I'm, I'm the first few times I did, I was thoroughly embarrassed. I was one of the worst experiences ever, but I've changed that to a positive to say, well, let's have fun with this. It's going to be random and let's find out what happens. Even things like uh, like the things I mentioned earlier of, of what I want to work on. I'm good at serving physically. Am I good at serving emotionally? No, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Does it mean that it has to be traumatic? No, it just means that I need to, I need to find a way to reach out to those people in ways that that will be less traumatic for me and maybe much more useful to them. I need to, I need to stop looking at it as I suck and, and looking at it like, okay, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult and possibly uncomfortable, but it's, it's not going to be painful. It's not going to make it worse. Uh, I can move through that. So, so over overcoming those kinds of strong emotions is a big part of self-esteem. I have a question on that and I'm going to try to ask it, you know, as, as clear as I can, because it is somewhat of a confusing question. Do you think it's harder to view yourself as a weak person and trying to find strengths than it is to view yourself as a strong person and identifying weaknesses? Absolutely. It is. I think that is the crux of this issue is I I'm like you, I'm super like, yeah, like, let's go. I'll figure it out. If I'm terrible, I have a good time with it. And, that, and I'd like to get to that next is finding joy in the grind. But it's it's somewhat easier for me to be like, all right, I'm not the best X, but I can work on that. But if I were the reverse, if I was like, no, I'm garbage. And somebody's like, no, you're really good at writing or singing or whatever. Like, nah, like, it, I think that's harder. Yeah. And I think these people are like, well, you can't relate to me because you're not here. But I get it. Like, that is harder. And I understand that. I think uh, one of the things that I was talking with my wife about on this the other day was uh, a lot of it goes around the narrative that you've created for your life. 
And it's not just your life, but it's also the narrative you create for those domains. Uh, like th the narrative that I had for a long time, we, we have a thing in our church that we call family home evening, where we take one night a week, not on a Sunday, but on a Monday night. And we get together to have uh, a discussion about um, religious things. And then we want to have fun and, uh, and play some games and maybe have a treat or two. And it's just a designated time where there's nothing else going on. Uh, and you get together and you have this time as the family which is a real benefit. Well, my experience growing up was that, and I, I wish I was kidding about this. It's not in the least amount, an exaggeration. We had maybe four or five times where we tried that. And three of those times were some of the most traumatic experiences of my childhood. I don't want to describe them. All I can say is that it ruined my vision of who my father was, of who my mother was. Uh, and it was, it literally scarred me for life. And so now, whenever we try to do that as a family, and it's getting better <laughs> 20 plus years later, um, but <laughs> but it was so traumatic that whenever we would have some of these family meetings together, I cringed inward. I, I, I just, I, I, physically, you would see me, I would tuck in, I would, my head would be bowed, my, my arms would be crossed, and I would... I couldn't look at anybody in the face because I just remembered those negative, negative experiences. And so if you had asked me um, in those moments, you know, how do you, how do you overcome this? How do you, how do you get past this? I literally did not know. I had, I had no idea how to overcome that kind of negative feeling about that particular experience. And, and it happened at my wife's parents house it happened anytime anytime anybody had any kind of a meeting like that i was oh just could not handle it uh so moving past that first i had to to recognize even what was going on uh and and it was incredibly painful for me to face those memories and to push them down. And to this day, it's, I, I'm, I'm better at interacting with it. I'm better at being there and being present and not cringing inward. Uh, but I'm able to at least reach outwards. But the point that I, I, I'm trying to make is that was so hard for me to even, to even want to get out of that. Because in order to want to get out of it, I had to do that more often. And I had to face that pain more often. And it, it, it was only through doing it more that I was able to finally move through it. I had to act. I had to move. I had to do. And the problem that a lot of people have when they're stuck in these negative spirals is it's all mental. It's all inside their head. They think, oh, I'm terrible. I can't do this. I, and that narrative in your mind I can't do this. I can't do this. I suck at this. This is terrible. I, there's no way to get out of this. That's all a mental block. And you have to transform that into some kind of physical action. Just thinking about things will never get you anywhere. You have to produce action, even if it is self-talking to yourself vocally. That still is translating a thought into an action, a physical action. And by translating those thoughts into physical actions, they become real. They become something you can interact with. Talking with somebody else is even better, but even talking to yourself. And once you're able to produce 
some kind of physical action, then that loop suddenly is broken. That mental, uh, you know, loop that keeps circling and cycling. It's like a, like a death tornado. But as soon as you speak it, it's out. It's, it's, it's now in the physical world. And now it's something you can interact with. Write it down in a book. As soon as you've written it, you've now physically changed that thought into something that's just that death spiral into something that's on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what it is. And as soon as you're able to do that and make physical these kind of realities, then it becomes easier to approach it another way. Okay, I wrote it down in a book. Now I'm going to do that a few more times. Maybe maybe next time I'll be able to talk to a friend or talk to my wife or my brother or my mom or dad. Who does, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And then when you talk to them, then now you get a different perspective. Now you say, here's, here's the problem I've been going through. And you can only think about the things you can think about. And now when you talk to somebody else, now you get a different perspective. Now you can gain more knowledge, more insight. And so, so when you're stuck in those, those traps of, oh my gosh, I suck at this. And you, and you feel that negative spiral, you have to change that narrative. And the only way to change that narrative is to start physically recognizing it as a narrative and starting to find ways to a recognize it, B document it. And then C let's find more action. Let's start working through it with physical activity. It, it, the key, the key of physical, of making things physical instead of just cognitive and mental, I think is a big step that people forget that they don't, that, that it's, it's so overwhelming in their mind that, bringing it into physical reality is also scary uh, but you have to you have to bring it into into reality before you can work on it that's very powerful stuff you know honestly that's that's why i wanted you on i think that's the conversation that really needs to be had and i think for anybody listening you know there's this this notion that people who are successful people who are happy they've always been like that or they, they had a good life or they had something you didn't and you just heard it. <laughs> I was going to say, you just heard it. That is that rarely, if ever, is that truly the case. That is a, it's like the final self-defense mechanism. You think, well, it's just luckier or easier for them. That's just you telling yourself another reason. Well, I'm not ready to do that work. It's easier for them. It's not that they had to go through this because if you admit they had to go through it, well, now it's the ball's back in your court. If you do want to fix it, you've got to go through it. And Jared, I mean, you just shared the, the message and you shared the story that strips anybody's ability to say, well, oh, you're just good. You were, you were born like this. You had the easy path, the silver spoon. You're, you're fine. No, I, I'm not going to delve too much into it, but I will say that, uh, yeah, family life for me growing up was good. I'm not going to say it was bad, but there was enough elements of it that were traumatic that when I got married and became a father, I literally told my wife, if I'm ever doing something that reminds you of the experiences I had growing up and, and reminds you of my father, all you need to say is, thanks, George. And she, that's my father's name. She has done that one time and it ruined me for months. I could not believe that I had gone and done something that 
was reflective of some of the bad behaviors of my father. And I have not found the need to have her do that again. Because once I recognized that and felt the pain of that personally, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a very, very difficult experience. But again, it was made physical. It was me acting and thinking in a mental way. And then my wife called me on the carpet and said those two magic words, thanks, George. And it totally broke that cycle. And once that cycle was recognized, then I was able to do something about it. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, and one of the most difficult moments of my life. But because it broke that cycle, it also was the turning point of me as a father into becoming something that I'm now much happier with than I was at the time. You know, I'd go so far as to say to develop a higher sense of self-esteem or a stronger sense of self, it's critical that you go through these things because those are the catalysts for change. Those are the things that will propel you. And when you take it out of your head, in your head, it has infinite power. It has infinite reserves of energy it can draw from. But when you take it out and throw it, well, now it, it starts to atrophy immediately. Yeah. You know, in, in my experience, public speaking, I was like, man, I can totally do this. I can rock this. You know, that's that's such a fear for other people. But I never had that issue. You know, in the, in the military, I became an instructor for a reason. I love doing it. I love teaching. You know, and then for me to go from that to, to giving uh, speeches at conventions and whatnot, or just running podcasts and YouTube, you know, it was a seamless flow. That wasn't hard. You know what was really hard? Dropping my pen name. For some people, they think like, oh, it's just a pen name. So to them, I'm look, I'm like, you can't speak in front of people, just talk. They're like, oh, no way. But for when it's my turn, you know, and I had to face my demon, I'm like, oh, I got to, I'm going to share my name. They're like, yeah, it's just a bunch of letters. Who cares? I'm like, no, you don't get it. It's so, it's such a big deal. But then I took it out of my head. I threw it on the table. Hey guys, I'm Zach. Hunter Drew's dead. It died immediately. You know what happened? Literally nothing. I was almost <laughs> disappointed at how little of a, an impact or a little of anything it had on anything I was doing. I was like, man, I could have done this years ago. The rest but of it, us were annoyed. It took me like three months to stop calling you Hunter, you <laughs> bonehead. <laughs> it still happens every Everybody has a past till 2022. Then it's exactly. Then I'm calling people out. But it's if you if it's dancing, if it's uh, speaking up in a group, if it's singing, you know, whatever the thing is you want to do, but you're afraid to do it because you're telling yourself you're not worthy of it. Maybe it's asking for a raise. The yeah. worst that can happen is whatever happens. But in your head, an infinite stream of things. So you're worried about this. You're worried about that. You're worried about that. Man. Just find out. Just get, get rid of the what ifs. Go do the thing. You know, for you facing that, you now you know, all right, this is where it is. For me, dropping that. All right, now I know this is how it happens. There's no more what ifs, which opened up so much freaking bandwidth inside my mind. It was incredible. And I've become much better at every other aspect of my life because I stopped playing the what if game for a thousand things in my head. I just faced them. Well, and, and not only that, but going back to those negative versus positive emotions, <clears throat> this works both ways for expectations. You have these expectations of what's going to happen, either positive or negative. You think, man, I'm going to go to this concert. It's going to be the greatest thing in the world. Best experience ever. And you get there and you're in the, experience, you're in the concert. It's like, that was good. Yeah. 
you know, but was it the greatest thing you've ever experienced in your life? No, but your expectation was so high. And so you might be a little disappointed. Same thing with the fears. Uh, when, when we go rock climbing and you look at some of these routes and you think you, you look up at this cliff and it's looming over you and you got this big, huge thing. You're like, this is going to suck. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be so nervous. And then you do it and you're like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, I didn't die. It was fine. Uh, and so your, your expectations for your fears and your expectations for your joys always mentally are much different than the reality that you get to experience. And part of that, and I'm going to take this back a little bit to the self-esteem thing uh, and, and, and that, that talking through things. Uh, sometimes you need to recognize that you need to break that cycle of expectations. Uh, a, a very fun exercise that my wife recently is, is doing, which, uh, which I've looked into a little bit more, and it's kind of cool, uh, is that she has... Uh, these moments where she's like, I, I'm, I'm worried about X. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about X and it, and it, it's something that consumes her mind most of the day. So let's take it as a self-esteem thing. I'm worried about doing X. I'm worried about having this. Well, instead of worrying about it all day, she's actually said, okay, I'm going to schedule a time from this time to this time, half an hour every day, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to worry about that. That's going to be my time to worry about it. And all the rest of the day, if I find myself worrying about it, I'm just going to say, nope, this is not the time for that. I don't have time for that right now. I have a time scheduled to worry about that. That's when we're going to worry. Uh, and it really uh, changed her approach to it. And it, it helps her break that negative self-talk cycle because as soon as that negative self-talk starts coming in, she's like, nope, I've got a time for this. That's when I'm going to do that. Uh, and what ends up happening is, sure enough, during the time when she's going to think about it, she sets it aside and she thinks, okay, I had all these thoughts today, but I've now had time to process them and I'm able to deal with them a little better because they've been, you know, percolating in the background there for a while. And now when I'm focused on it, it becomes less dramatic. It becomes less um, distracting. And so it's this concrete thing. Again, she took and made an action. She took her mental state and turned it into a concrete thing. I have a time designated to be a freak about this particular thing. Uh, and then it helps her avoid that and process it better. And it creates something where she no longer has that distracting negative self-talk. Um, so yeah, you gotta, you gotta make time to deal with your expectations for your things, either positive or negative. Uh, and, having those expectations and just letting them roll through your head all the time, that's not nearly as healthy as, as being able to process them uh, in specific ways. Having a, a thought process like that, or maybe a mental exercise like that, does she ever find that when it comes time to worry about that thing, she's like, Oh, it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah, no, that's happened to her a couple of times where, where she, where she's, uh, she gets to that point and she's like, I don't want to do that right now. I'm, it's not, it's not forefront of my mind. I'm not as concerned. And then the next day she might have some other things that have cropped up where it did become a concern. And she's like, okay, now, and, and what it actually becomes is not so much a, a time of sitting there thinking, okay, let's worry about this, but rather it becomes, okay, how do I f deal with this? What are some things that I can do to address, mitigate, 
uh, is it something that needs to be addressed or mitigated? Do I do I need to worry about it? Uh, and so yeah, it it has helped her in a bunch of different ways. Not only the, not only stopping the negative self talk, but also in helping her come to better resolutions of what to do about some of those things. That that segues excellently into something I wanted to talk to you about. Recently, I recorded the video for Instagram where I said uh, it's okay to be happy. And I went much more into detail. It was fantastic. Check it out at Zach Small underscore. If you <laughs> like that plug, <laughs> nice. if you could see the DMs I've gotten off of that, it from men and women, it brought people to tears, not because the message was that eloquent, though it probably was more so <laughs> because the message itself was just giving permission to people to like, it's okay to not worry. And when I was thinking about your wife's exercise, it's like, it's okay to put that down, you know, down, down line, maybe to talk about later. And then you get there, you're like, you know what? I'm choosing, I'm not going to worry about that right now. People are so worried about so many things and you're dealing with so many things in your life. You know, your oldest boy was married. He's out going and starting his own family and doing these things. And there's got to be in the back of dad's mind, like, all right, you know, he's doing his thing, he's growing, but kind of keep it an eye. You know, you've got the other children in the home. You've got your wife, you've got your job, you've got all the things you're trying to balance. You've got yourself on all of this. You're still Jared. You're still like, hey, you know, every time I turn to you, you're like, hey, I'm working on this, but I'm good. You know, like this is just yeah. a part of it. How have you found a way to tap into that? Because brother, I am telling you, I, I on anything you hold dear, there are people out there who don't think they're allowed to be happy right now. They think they have to be in this chaos. They have to be caught up in this momentum of negativity and, and redundant anger without progress. You're not like that though at all. Yeah. I had a, a conversation with a good friend yesterday where he was saying that, uh, you know, all the, all the riots in the Capitol and all that stuff. And for like three or four days, he was glued to the TV and the internet and getting news. And he's like, it just, it put me through an emotional roller coaster. And I had, no way of relating to that because it didn't for me. I, yeah. I saw the news. It's like, man, what boneheads, what did they expect was going to happen? And also, you know, frustration. Okay. Why is everybody at each other's throats? This is stupid. But then in the, in the end result, all it came down to was a brief analysis. Does this affect me right now in my home with my family? And the answer is No. Uh, and then you look at it even a little closer. What are the changes that are going to affect me and my family personally in the next year? And the answer is not much. You know, we might see some different tax laws. You know, uh, COVID may or may not go away. Who cares? Um, what Zach forgot to mention was that when we did the 31 DTM, the mid of March, in the middle of that was when the, we got the first major lockdown for the COVID uh, restrictions. And here's all these men that are trying to go to the gym and get all this physical activity. And then all of a sudden it just ended and we don't have access to that. We have to go home and do everything from home. And so we, we said that we were doing this, this uh, challenge on hard mode, uh, which we kind of were, but at the same time, as soon as that happened, my first reaction was challenge accepted. You know, it's like, it's like, this is going to be cool. And so, uh, it was, it was now a mental exercise of how do I do this 
without having access to the same resources that I had? How do I do this? And it actually, it became even better because now my family got to watch me do these things one-on-one. We're hanging out in the garage because we're bored stiff and the kids can't go anywhere and my, my wife can't go anywhere and I don't have anything open. And so what am I doing? I'm doing freaking 400 push-ups a day out in the garage, doing pull-ups, doing my workout. And I was having a ball. And my wife was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, my kids Perfect. started to join in. The, you know, we had we had an absolute ball doing it for not all day long. But, you know, we had a lot of fun challenging ourselves to learn how to do something different in a new environment. Because what else are you going to do? If you're not having fun, then what's the point? Uh, and and yeah, it sucked in a lot of different ways, but it was that mindset of, yeah, it sucks. Get over it. Uh, and then moving on to doing it in a different way, thinking about it in a different way. Um, did I enjoy it the whole time? No. Did I accomplish a lot? I lost 30 pounds from that. You know, I, I improved myself dramatically. Uh, be, without the normal things, because I changed my mindset. You said something about about how do I how do I just sort of get past all this thing. One of the things is having I won't call it a stoicism or a stoic attitude, although that feeds into it. I don't necessarily um, restrict the highs and the lows deliberately. I think it's more that my mindset simply is um, I understand how temporary a lot of things are. I've lived long enough to see, yeah, it sucks, but guess what? It's going to not suck eventually. Um, Yeah, it's hard, but it's going to be not hard eventually. Uh, Yeah, I'm happy, but this could also go away. Um, And so being able to take that longer view and, and understanding and it, by the way, it doesn't always work, uh, but understanding that there's a, things that are under my control, things that aren't, but also time is just a thing that keeps moving and being able to move with that time as opposed to trying to stop it or control it. That doesn't always work. Now, do I do I do that consistently 100% of the time? No, absolutely not. There's still a lot of things that I'm like, damn it, I wish I could control that right now. And, and I try to force it. And then once I reach maximum disappointment, I'm like, ah, see what I was doing. I was trying to be a jerk and trying to control something. I should stop that. Uh, and then I, then I go back down to earth. Um, so, so yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not a perfect attitude. It's not something I'm a hundred percent consistent on, but yeah, understanding that long view makes a big difference. And I think that somewhat answers a counterpoint I was going to make, but you, you got ahead of me on it. And that is those who say, well, you're just ignorant or, or you're ignorant to what's going on or the ramifications And I also agree, this isn't about ignorance. It's about understanding. I see what's happening at the macro. I choose to not let it influence my micro. Now, let's step back. When you've taken actions, when you're in a position where you're, you know, quote unquote, prepared, you're prepped for this, I think you have a much more stable foundation to stand on. And a lot of the people who who are freaking out about things is because they know they're not in a position where if what they think is going to happen happens, they're ready or, or they're going to be able to handle it. And I think that's a, right. a form of insecurity creeping through them. It's not, I, I will, I will make one clarification on that. When you say that, Oh, I'm prepared and I'm ready. You can be, 
in the right mindset to be prepared or ready, meaning that you're ready to roll with whatever happens. I don't think you can ever truly fully prepare yourself to where you're like, I got this. And when it happens, you're like, I had this. I was completely (laughs) prepared. No mistakes at all. Everything fell into place exactly as I foresaw. You're not freaking Nostradamus here. It's not going to work like that. But you can prepare to the best of your ability to where you now have a sense of confidence that whatever is going to happen, you'll roll with the punches and be adaptable enough to say, okay, that's fine. Didn't work out the way I thought, but we're going to, we're going to roll with this. Um, The example that I have is kind of, uh, kind of silly, but uh, I spent a summer as a ranger in New Mexico. And my favorite thing in the world was to meet situations where the equipment or the preparations that we had were not adequate because now you had to think of something different. It's like, okay, we don't have, we don't have this particular piece of equipment. What can we do? What can substitute? How do we overcome this? And then finding creative ways to overcome those, those situations was always my favorite time. If I had the right thing, it was almost disappointed. It's like, Oh, I've got the right thing. And it was kind of cool to say that because, Hey, I'm prepared. But then when you don't have the right thing, it's like, I can fix this. And then you go and you, you find something new and you do it. Um, very rewarding. And the same thing happens in life when you're, when you're ready to roll with the punches, when you're ready to be adaptable and not force your expectations on the situation, going back to our discussion on expectations. If I have expectations and they didn't meet them, do I roll over and, and just give up? Well, that's stupid. Um, you have to roll with that punch and you have to move on to something else. Um, I, I'll share a, a very personal story of how a, an experience did not meet our expectations and how we rolled with it and learned something incredibly valuable. We, uh, our second child was a, a daughter, uh, Samantha, and at about uh, seven months, my wife wasn't feeling the baby move in her stomach anymore. And so I'll make it a, a much longer story, kind of short, but we're like, okay, fine. Why don't you go to the hospital? find out what's, what's going on. Listen to the heartbeat. It'll, it'll settle your mind. You'll be fine. Well, it ended up, she was stillborn. Uh, she had, she had died. Um, it was around labor day. Uh, and, uh, and there's much more to the story, but it was a devastating, devastating blow because we had this expectation. We were going to have a daughter. We had a son and now we've got this daughter on the way and we're super excited. And it just, didn't work out and it worked out in the worst way possible. Um, and so the next week or so, um, we had people that were well wishers and people that knew us and wanted to say, we're sorry and help us out in some way. And it wasn't like I had lost a limb. I I wasn't in the hospital laid up, you know, in ICU, nor, nor was my wife. We were both home. We were just sad. We were grieving our expectations hadn't been met and we, we had to work through this and fine. And, and I kept turning people away. No, we don't need the help. I we're good. You don't need to bring us a meal. I can, I'm good. I'll mow my own yard. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not incapacitated. But then finally one day, uh, a, a woman we knew came by and she had a loaf of bread and she gave it to, her. she says, I had to do this. I had to give this to you because I didn't know what else to do. 
And suddenly it hit me. I was denying all these other people a chance to work through their grief on our behalf. They were sad because a friend was sad. And by not letting them do anything for me, I was preventing them from acting in a way that helped them relieve their grief. I had to adapt in a new way. I had to change my mindset from, I'm fine, I'm a rock, I'm good. And I still was, but I had to let other people serve me. I had to let other people in to serve them. It was a totally different mindset, totally changed my mindset. But I, but the point being, in order to roll with that punch, in order to adapt and learn, I had to change completely. And I had to open myself up to being vulnerable, to letting people in to serve me, to show them. Yeah, and it, it, it almost seems like I had to admit that I was weak, but that really wasn't what it was. It was more like, I'm not saying I'm weak, so I need your help. It was saying, you know what? Thank you for your help. I accept that. Uh, and, uh, and so often that adaptability, that ability to change will go in some way that's completely unexpected. Are you willing to change your mindset? Are you willing to go in that di different direction to something that's completely unexpected and may be really, really special? Um, so when we're talking about prepping for things like government unrest, okay, maybe it won't be riots. Maybe it'll be something else. Are you ready? Is your mind ready to go in that direction? Are you, are you flexible enough to move in that direction? And I think that's a lot of how I work through life in ways that mitigate that sort of, uh, that, that getting stuck in a rut or getting, uh, not being able to recognize um, strengths or weaknesses is I, I also recognize, again, long-term, things are not going to meet my expectations. I want them to. I really, really want them to. But they're just not going to. And so what do I do? How do I, how do I work through that lack of meeting my expectations? And how do, I, how do I change that mindset so that I can adapt to that? You know, I had heard the story, you know, you'd shared about your daughter, Samantha. But I've never seen it through that angle or that lens before that you shared. And I think it, it truly does highlight the point that as men, we talk about being the rock, the oak, you know, we're, in, we're impenetrable. But that's the position and the role you play for others. Mentally, on the inside, it's almost like you have to be a lava lamp. <laughs> it's almost like you, you, it's it's almost like you have to be able to move and flow and, and with the ebbs. And it's it's so interesting when you see someone trying to slam that freaking square into the circle, and they're grabbing the sledgehammer and trying to bust it down, and it just won't go because look, you can't shape the world around what you want it to be. Yeah, the world we is, and you've got to find a way to meet it. We see that in leadership a lot where, where you'll hear people talk about, they'll complain about their, their boss or a coach or something like that. Like my son had a, a volleyball coach who he interacted with players in a certain way and he wanted them to react to him in a certain way. My son did not. And so my, the coach didn't really like working with Caleb because Caleb didn't respond in the way that other players did. And his method of coaching didn't accommodate 
for Caleb's needs and the way he reacted to things. Uh, and eventually his senior year, Caleb was their star player and killed it all year long. And our coach came to me and says, I, yeah, I should have played him sooner. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. It's like, yeah, what happened was you were stuck in your rut. You couldn't see the potential because you were forcing him into your mold bosses. We, we had a discussion on FOE from somebody just recently where the boss leads in a particular way and thinks that that's going to address everybody's needs. It's not a good leader adapts. He looks at you and says, Oh, you respond better to challenges. Fine. Here's a challenge. Go. You respond better to somebody saying that they identify with you. You know what? Hey, I'm really sorry. You're having a tough time. What can we do to help you out with that? S respond to somebody else, give them a task and turn them loose. Here's your task. Go. Uh, somebody else has to be a micromanager. Here's the steps I think you should take. If you're not a leader that does that, that adapts to the needs of your people, what are you doing? Uh, and the same thing goes with your life. If you have those 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 boundaries, those expectations that you can't see past, that you can't, uh, you're not willing to see past, you're always going to be disappointed because things aren't going to meet that. You have to be able to adapt and change your approach and how you react to things in order to maintain that that sense of stability, that sense of happiness. It's it's fluid. Your sense of happiness and your ability to control things is going to ebb and flow. Are you also willing to ebb and flow to adapt to those circumstances? And that plays to something that I think it's easier to look at the stress. You know, everybody knows PTSD. Everybody knows about the, the stress disorder. Right. You know, and recently I was speaking with Ivan Throne and he brought up, you know, like PTGO. And I love the acronyms. I'm a Navy guy. Acronyms is what we do. But it's post-traumatic growth opportunity. You're like, yes. all right, in this chaos, where's your opportunity to grow? And when you start looking at life like that, on each thing, you, you know, you mentioned each aspect of your life needs to be assessed like a fingerprint. It's unique. Who you are here, you have to be different there. You have to be different there. You've got to cater yourself to be able to fit into the shape that, that's going to be optimal for you in that environment. But in the world that we have right now, and in the discussion that we just had, it's very clear that if you choose the path of finding opportunity and finding growth moments that you can jump into and start treating yourself a little bit differently, start giving yourself permission to be happy, you can, in, even in this climate, even in the insanity known as 2020, 2021, you know, we are able to find an opportunity for you to elevate yourself in all areas, be it connect, connecting when you're supposed to be isolating, growing right. when you're supposed to be shrinking. You know, we're, they're trying to quarantine and we're trying to make even more connections. Here we are, Arizona, teaching kids in Rhode Island. You know, we're, yeah. we're making it happen. One of the keys, one of the most difficult things to overcome, though, and this is and this is where this this large holistic discussion where we talk about you as a person that for a lot of people. It's incomprehensible. It's too much. They can't take it in. It's like, oh, I want to become better at the things I'm weak at. OK, oh, there's too many things. What do I do? Uh, you have to start somewhere. You have to pick something and move. Pick something and make that change. Don't pick everything. And that comes back again to that self-esteem as a holistic thing. You have low self-esteem? Okay, I'm going to get better self-esteem. Good luck. Have fun. And I'll see you when you never get there. Because if you treat it like a holistic thing, if you treat I'm going to improve myself, that is such a load of crap that you'll never get there. It's it's like anything else. And people people don't understand the domains, the process of improving any domain never changes. We go to work, they give you a project and you say, I want this project done in a month. And you say, got it. 
but you know a process at work. You know where you have to start. And you don't start by saying, I'm going to do the project. You say, okay, I'm going to start by creating a folder that says the project name. And I'm going to start putting crap in there. And then I'm going to take a spreadsheet. And then I'm going to do this. If you're a carpenter, you don't say, I'm going to start by building the table. No, you go and buy with lumber. You, you actually, even before that, you decide what's the design going to be. You don't draw, a, you don't make a painting. You make an idea for the painting. You start from scratch, you get your paints, you mix them. Everything that has those physical things, we look at those processes for work or hobbies or sports. And there's a, there's a step-by-step process that we know is there. We have to follow that. And you won't try to exceed it. You, you understand intuitively that you can't just do the thing. You have process, steps that go through it. And the same thing happens with improving a domain of your own personal life, mentally, physically, doesn't matter. There's a process. You have to start somewhere. You have to pick that first thing. Maybe even learn about what other people have done to fix that, that process. You cannot look at these things as, I am going to become better. No, I will become better at talking to myself about my difficulty with this by writing it down today. I will become better at this by writing it down again tomorrow. I will become better after writing it down for seven days, talking to my best friend about it. I will look up YouTube videos for how to improve this. I will do research. I will then do this. Start so small, so small. I want to get better at relating to my kids. Okay. I'm going to spend four hours to deal with my kids. No, you're not. And you're going to fail at that every time you try. I'm going to spend one minute extra with my kid. That's doable. That's trackable. You can make that. That's physical. Go do that. I'm going to spend one minute doing this. Doesn't matter but you have to start small. The more you think big, the more you think, no, my problems are too big. I can never, I can never get them. There's too many. I can't wrap my mind around it. Pick one, pick one, and then start going. No one will ever improve. Uh, you don't go into the gym and lift 350 pounds your first day. doesn't happen. Do you go in the gym one day and lift a five pound weight? Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you lift that again the next day? Yeah. Can you keep doing that? Maybe in a few days, add another weight. Yeah. Don't, don't start big. You can't do it. You'll kill yourself and you'll just disappoint yourself. So set your expectations super low, set your expectations, super fine, super micro start there and then move up. I think that's an excellent way to wrap this one up. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not about listening to this podcast. It's about taking the information from it and applying it. I'm glad you listen. You know, I hope you enjoyed it. That's why I do what I do. That's why I have guests on like Jared to share their perspective. But at the end of the day, being a well-listened man will not change your life. It's the actions you take from the words you hear. So before we totally wrap this one up, Jared, if someone wanted to reach out to you or if they wanted to pick your brain a little bit more on your perspective or your message, where could they best find you? Uh, I am on Instagram and I don't remember my handle right now, but I believe it's underscore Jared underscore McLean. Um, and it's M C L A I N and Jared is J A R E D. So if you want to find me on Instagram, you can find me there. Feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to, uh, to do DMS, whatever on that. Um, I, with the caveat that I'm not an expert, 
I am just uh, somebody who's learned a lot uh, and, and I'm happy to share my experience with whoever wants it. Jared, I want to thank you for your time. You know, that's the greatest currency we all have. And you dedicated it here over an hour having this discussion, you know, to, to put it out into the world. And for all those listening, life is what you make it. And we're, we're constantly striving to meet the, these expectations we put on ourselves. And we're trying to, you know, check the box, if you will. It's okay to be okay. Don't ever forget that. And what it is you're doing, you just have to start doing something. You know, the people who are confident, the people who have pride in themselves, the people who are able to speak from their chest and they feel good about who they are and they have high senses of self-esteem, these are people who do the right thing. And when I say right, I mean objectively. You're trying to make your body stronger, whether that's walking or that's going out and chasing the deadlifts, depending where you're at. As long as you're doing something to go in the right direction and eating properly and trying to connect and looking to be a good person and not caught up in the mix of what's going on and what's popular. You can't feel bad about yourself if you know inside I've done the right things. I'm doing the right things and I've got that going for me. And that will build momentum within you. When you start taking those right actions, when you start writing it down, like Jared said, you can't sit there and beat up on yourself because you know you're doing the work. You know, even if it's subconsciously, you know I'm putting in the reps and good people do that. Good people speak, good people connect, good people try to fix themselves from the inside out. Good people try to be an example for others. Whether that's reaching out and helping somebody carry a bag or delivering a loaf of bread. Go out, take actions, improve yourselves. And as always, if you need to reach out, Jared shared his contact info. I'll have a link to that below as well as my own. Take care. This has been another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's only community at thefraternityofexcellence.com. And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach Small underscore.